follow up with the broker, either a phone call or an email, and say, hey, I went and visited your property at ABC Street. Really good deal. Here's what I liked about it. Here's what I didn't like about it. Number one, it's showing them that you're proactively going out there and looking at deals. But two, it also gives them a better idea of the type of deal you're looking for. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, In addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we've got an episode today that will help you attract private capital by aligning yourself with the right team members, especially if you have little experience and little credibility in the industry. Last week, we talked about the experience component and how important that is. So this week, we're talking about the ways to attract private capital as well as to attract the right team members who then help you attract private capital. And this episode in the series, it's a four-part series, is inspired by the book, 
It's not out yet, but it is available pre-order. So you can go to apartmentsyndicationbook.com, pre-order it. You got a bunch of goodies when you pre-order it. Just email the receipt to info at joefairless.com and you'll get all those goodies. So last week we talked about experience. This week we're talking about credibility and attracting private money. And let's get rocking. So as Joe mentioned, last week, the first part we talked about making sure you have the experience requirements before becoming a syndicator. So that's having preferably both past business experience and past real estate experience. But if you're attempting to do your first apartment syndication, you've never done one before. So you're still going to face a credibility problem in the face of potential passive investors because if you've never done an apartment syndication deal before, they're going to want to be confident that you're going to be able to return their, their capital. So before you even find private money investors, you're going to need to address that credibility problem. And that's where finding experienced team members come in. So that's why one of the parts of the money part of the book is building your actual team. And there's a lot of different team members you need. You need a property management company, a real estate broker, you need attorneys, mortgage broker, accountants. In this episode, we're going to focus particularly on the real estate broker. And we're going to go over some ways to win them over. And that is a challenge at the beginning. I know I had it at the beginning whenever I had broker conversations. I thought I was riding in on my high horse with three, actually four single family homes that I had at the time. And I thought for sure they would all just fall over and fight to talk to me since I had these four single family homes. Not at all, at all, at all, at all. (laughs) They were not very interested in talking to me because I had four single family homes since I did not have experience with apartment communities. So I personally came across this challenge. I wish I had this episode to listen to whenever I was going through this challenge because it would have meant a much more seamless transition and I would have been able to attract brokers quicker, would have been able to grow faster in a more effective way, but I didn't. However, you do. So here are four tactics you can use to attract the best brokers in the market that you selected. Yes. And the idea behind these four tactics is to put yourself in the mind of the broker and ask yourself, what do they want? And based off of what they want, how can you show them that you can get them what they want? At the end of the day, they want to make their commission. In order to make their commission, they have to be confident that once they find a deal, the person they send it to has the ability to close. So since you've never closed on a deal before, you can't leverage your past experience. Instead, you can do these four things to prove to the broker that you are going to be able to close on a deal. So the first one, kind of obvious, but just pay them a consulting fee. So instead of waiting to pay them after closing on a deal, offer to pay them a couple hundred dollars an hour for their time. So if you are visiting properties with them, if you're having conversations on the phone with them, log that time and send them a offer to pay them a consulting fee. I actually don't think that's obvious at all. I didn't know of anyone who had offered that. And I forget the guest. Maybe you remember the guest who mentioned this. He's in the Carolinas, I believe. His name was T. T. Yes, yes, yes. He's a, he's a broker. And when he mentioned that, I'd never heard of it. And I've mentioned in a couple of presentations when I've spoken at some conferences and I hadn't heard of anyone who had heard of it whenever I spoke about it. So I think that's great. And such a quality investment of $1,000. $1,000 is a lot of money, 
but so is the rapport that you build with a top broker in the market because you're likely going to be making more than a thousand dollars. You'll likely be making a hundred times more than that or ten times more than that, whatever, whatever size your deal. So really good investment in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Number two is when you're having a conversation with a broker, one thing you want to do is ask them how many properties have you sold in the past year? And when they tell you that number, ask them for the actual addresses of these properties. Go visit them in person and take a look at the condition of the property, the location, the size, anything that can let the broker know whether that specific property aligns with your business plan. So you'll visit the property and then you'll follow up with the broker, either a phone call or an email and say, hey, I went and visited your property at ABC Street. Really good deal. Here's what I liked about it. Here's what I didn't like about it. Number one, it's showing them that you're proactively going out there and looking at deals. But two, it also gives them a better idea of the type of deal you're looking for. Because some brokers might specialize in a specific type of deal where other brokers might just look at any deal that comes in, no matter what the size or the asset class. So it'll give them a better understanding of the type of deals you're looking for. On a similar note, kind of a hybrid of this is to do the same thing, but when they send you deals. So when they send you deals and you underwrite it, Instead of just qualify the deal because it doesn't meet your return goals, instead of just saying nothing, send an email to the broker and tell them what you liked about the deal and what you didn't like about the deal and why it was disqualified. So essentially look at the deals they're sending you or the deals they previously sold and tell them what you did and didn't like about those deals as it relates to your business plan. Number three is to provide them with information on how you're going to fund the deal. So once you find your mortgage broker and you've had a conversation with them, reach out to your broker and say, hey, I talked to ABC Mortgage Broker. Once you fill out the personal financial statement or once they've told you you qualify for a deal, tell your broker that we qualify for financing. Also let them know how you're going to actually pay for the down payment. So explain how you're having conversations with passive investors. Tell them how much money and verbal commitment you've had. And also, since you're probably not going to be able to qualify for the loan yourself. Let them know that you're having conversations with people who are verbally interested in signing on the loan and being a loan guarantor. So essentially anything that has to do with how you're going to fund the deal or how you're going to qualify for financing, follow up with the broker and let them know and keep them updated. And I would push this into number one or one B because if they don't have the confidence that you're going to close, none of this stuff matters unless you're paying them the consulting fee or by the hour. My suggestion is to proactively address how you have access to capital or how you have capital yourself. That way it addresses the 10,000 pound grill in the room because they is monk. Elephant. Someone said elephant. <laughs> I almost said monkey. I was like, that's a really heavy monkey. Because they're going to be thinking about the whole time you're talking. Can this person close? This is a great conversation. They're nice, but can they close? Can they close? Can they close? So just proactively address that one. Exactly. So I'm actually in the process of having a real estate broker conversations. We actually talked to a guy yesterday, and that's exactly what we do. When we give them our background, we mention exactly what we've done. Not only our real estate background and our business background, but what exactly we've done in regards to syndication. So do we have a financing lined up? Do we have private capital lined up? Who do we have on our team so far? And just mention all that stuff up front 
and then follow up with updates as you go. As Joe mentioned, if you don't address that from the beginning, they're not going to take you seriously at all because they're not going to know if you have any of those things lined up. So that's kind of leading into number four, which is constantly follow up with your broker. So you've got two ways above. Number one, drive to their properties and let them know what you liked about the properties. And number two, provide them with information on how you're funding the deal. But any other update that you can provide to them that will show you you're getting closer and closer to being able to close on a deal, you want to send that to them. So every week or every two weeks, make sure you're constantly in contact with these brokers, letting them know that you're, you're taking action. And there's certainly a fine line there with being a nuisance to being someone who's proactively following up. And my suggestion is it is what Theo mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation, put yourself in their shoes. Would you want someone emailing you weekly saying, hey, got a deal, got a deal, got a deal, got a deal, got a deal? No, you don't want that. But would you want someone who you've told that you'll follow up with them when you have a deal and you also introduce them to some team members? Would you want someone to follow up with you and say, by the way, thanks a lot for the recommendation for introducing me to so-and-so. I spoke to her and I'm likely going to be bringing her on my team as well. Happen to have any recommendations for XYZ. Maybe it's a title company. Maybe it's something else. And the answer is yes. The broker would be usually totally good with that because the broker knows that this is a relationship business. So when he or she is referring other team members of theirs out to potential clients, then they look good too to the title companies, to attorneys, et cetera. And it's good to know their contacts are being actually contacted by the person. So add value when you follow up. It's important. Otherwise, it's going to have the opposite effect of what Uh you're intending. Exactly. So these are four ways to win over the real estate broker that we're going to talk about today. But in the book, we follow a similar process and provide a similar explanation for the other team members. So how do you win over the property management company? How do you find the correct accountant? And how do you talk to mortgage brokers? So all that is also covered in the book. This episode, we're, we're touching on the real estate broker aspect. Cool. And in 10 seconds or less, what are the four things again? Consulting fee, number one. So pay them. Number two is drive to their recent sales and tell them what you do and don't like about their property. Number three is provide some information on how you're going to fund the deal. And number four is constantly follow up with new information and added value. Cool. So once you have the team lined up, you have the credibility that comes from the team. Now it's time to find private capital. Yep. And the challenge with private capital initially is your track record or lack thereof. And I've mentioned this multiple times, but just the disclaimer one more time is I'm not suggesting that everyone should raise private capital. I am assuming at this point that you have the experience and the knowledge in order to safely navigate a deal to as what would be expected for the industry. So if you're just starting out, I don't recommend raising private capital, but assuming that you've got some sort of knowledge, then this will help you gain that alignment of interest with team members so that you can attract the private capital. And whenever I was starting out, that was a big challenge I had too. For single family homes, 
doesn't amount to much from an experience standpoint. So instead, on the first deal, what I did is I had the brokers put in their commission into the deal and they were part owners with us in the deal. And what that allowed me to do is to speak to my private investors and say, yeah, I don't have the experience, but the brokers have four decades, five decades, whatever it was of experience. Mm -hmm. And they're partnering with us on the deal because they like it so much. And that went a really long way. So essentially what you'll need to do is you'll need to find some people who can address that experience challenge that you're ultimately going to come across when you're starting out and you will give up a portion of the deal. That's just how it is or a whole chunk of the deal, but who cares because you're getting that track record. So it's important to have that mindset of, yeah, I'm going to give up a decent amount of the deal, Mm -hmm. but it's going to get me in the door and this is a temporary challenge. And once this is addressed after a couple deals or maybe even one deal, then I won't have to do that or I won't have to do it as much as I used to. These are all things that you can leverage when having the conversation with your passive investors and saying, hey, you're investing money in the deal. I'm investing my own money in a deal. And I've got alignment of interest with my team members based off of the five things that I'm going to explain right now of how you can have alignment of interest with your team members. And these start from the lowest to the highest level of alignment of interest. And you can do this with different team members. So the first level or the lowest level of alignment of interest is just bringing on the qualified team member. So as we mentioned before, bringing on a qualified real estate broker, bringing on a sponsor or a mentor, or bringing on a qualified property management company onto your team. Or all of them. Of course, you need all those people. So that's number one, just bringing on a qualified team member. But that's the lowest because they don't really have any skin in the game whatsoever. They're just helping you manage the deal. Number two is you bring on this qualified team member and then you give them a percentage of the general partnership. So you bring them on and you offer them a percentage of the general partnership. This is number two. The reason why it's not higher is because they still don't actually have skin in the game. Yeah, the amount of money they'll make is based off of the success of the deal, but they're not going to lose any money, which is why the next tier up, number three, is bringing on a qualified team member, giving them a percentage of the general partnership because they're investing their own money in the deal. So just giving it away to them. Now they're investing their money in the deal for that chunk of the general partnership. So now they actually have skin in the game. But the money's treated as limited partnership money. But as part of the negotiation, you say, yeah, if you also invest in the deal, then you can be in the GP because of your track record. Exactly. So now they have skin in the game. The fourth level is the previous three levels, but they're also having other people that they know bring money out of the deal. So they're having their own investors invest in the deal. So actually, when you're having initial conversations with your real estate broker or your property management company, that's a question that you can ask. You can ask them, do you have investors who would be interested in investing in apartment deals? I've asked every property management company and real estate broker I've talked to that question. And much to my surprise, they all said they do have people who are willing to invest in these types of deals. I was actually surprised when they said that because I didn't know. I figured that maybe be 50-50, but all of them have said it so far. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, number four is bringing on the team member, having them invest and having someone on their team or someone that they know invest as well. And the fifth is having them actually sign on the loan. So having them be a loan guarantor. That way they've got a lot of skin in the game. They got their money in the game. They've got their personal finances in the game. 
So if you tell your investors that I'm investing in the deal, I've got qualified team members who are investing in the deal, they're bringing on people who invest in the deal, and they're signing on the loan, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> you just locked it up. Yeah. You just locked it up. The credibility. Absolutely. And you do that. So for these five levels that I mentioned, they're going from lowest to highest limit of interest. But there are three team members that can do any of these five. You've got your real estate broker, the sponsor or a mentor or consultant, and your property management company. So for those three, the property management company would result in the highest level of alignment of interest because they're not only aligning of interest through bringing on money, bringing on other people's money, signing a loan, but they're also involved in the day-to-day operations of the deal. The next would be the sponsor because they're not going to be involved in the day-to-day operation of the deal, but they do have experience. And so you can leverage that and tell your past investors, hey, I've got this sponsor who's got 1,500 units in this area and they're investing in the deal and they're going to allow me to ask them questions if anything were to come up. And then the one that we're lost in the lowest is the real estate broker, just because they're obviously signing off on the deal up front, but once they get their commission, they're not necessarily involved in the deal any longer besides making the money based off of which tier of alignment of interest they've decided to pursue. And a bonus one, so number six, would be to give the property management company a little bit less than what they were wanting on a monthly basis, but then backload that once you achieve your metrics that are in the pro forma and give them a bonus that is twice as much as what they would have made with that whatever you lowered it by. So let's say you lower it by $100,000 because they were going to make a certain percentage but now they're going to make 100k less over 5 years as a result of the fees. However, when they help you achieve the metrics by effectively managing the property, they receive a bonus of 200,000 in 5 years or in 2 years when you do a refinance or supplemental loan. That will show alignment of interest with the deal because the property management company gets a bonus and it also does not give them any equity in it, you just have to have some sort of contract drafted up that shows those terms. Exactly. And that also is essentially a value add opportunity. When you underwrite the deal and if you're lowering that property management expense, your expenses are going down. So that that ongoing cash on cash return is going to be higher. And then instead of paying that off each year, you're just paying it off that big chunk of equity you make at the end. Yeah. It can actually help you on the acquisition front too, because you can underwrite it a little bit differently than what other people are underwriting because your expenses are lower than what other people's expenses are. You just don't have as much upside on the back end because you're giving them a bonus. Mm -hmm. So as long as the numbers work on the back end, that could be a way to get a deal that perhaps you wouldn't have gotten otherwise because you're underwriting it differently. Exactly. So just make sure that's the approach you want to go with. Have that conversation with the property management company up front during the interview process. To quickly summarize, the six different ways to promote or create alignment of interest with your team members from going from lowest to highest is number one, bring on a qualified team member with the private management company resulting in the highest, followed by a sponsor or mentor, followed by the real estate broker. Number two is to give them a percentage of the GP. Number three is to have them invest as a limited partner in the deal. Number four is to have them bring on other people to invest as limited partners in the deal. Number five, have them sign in the loan. And number six, reduce their ongoing payment and double or triple it at at sale. 
or some sort of capital event if you do a refinance or supplemental loan. Great stuff. Got any updates this week? I don't. What about you? You told me you're, you're selling I, I your decided, property. I, I decided to sell the three homes, but there's a wrinkle in the plan, and that is I looked at the leases and they expire this coming summer. So we almost, they're basically 12 months away. Therefore, what we're doing is we are sharing the deals with our property management company who said they might have investors who are interested. So there you go. You look at the 1% or 2% rule, they're 0.07% across the board. So it wouldn't be as much cash flow. So I'm not sure if an investor would want it. Who knows? We'll see. I really don't care. If not, then I'll just sit on them for eight months, nine months, and then sell them retail next summer. Yeah, there's an advantage of having the single family rentals. Unless, of course, you have a lease isn't expiring for a while, but you can sell it to live there as a regular homeowner, or you can sell it to an investor. So you've kind of a larger market. Yeah. The whole reason I'm doing it is... I've got 349000 trapped in those homes in equity and I make like 250 bucks a month yeah. maybe in total from those three homes because if there's repairs or a tree falls on a car or something like that and plus the liability of having those homes, uh, it's time to take those and put that money into our deals. Are, are you allowed to 1031 and do a passive investment? Technically, yes, you are. For our group, we don't accept 1031s unless it's $3 million or more because okay. we got to restructure the whole kit and yeah. caboodle. And it's just not worth all that brain power for attorneys and us and coordination and logistics. So if one of our investors asks us if they can 1031 into our deals, the answer is if it's $3 million or more. However, we do 1031s from one deal to another, and we have, but we just don't accept outside 1031s that are not our deal. So I could not 1031 my proceeds from these homes into one of our deals because it's missing one zero at the end. Makes sense. Well, great. Hope you sell those puppies and get to invest that money into the next deal. If not, then... I guess they'll cash flow at least a little bit and still have the opportunity to sell them here in the next year. Yep. All right. So before we conclude, make sure everyone listening, guys and girls, goes to the Best Ever Show community on Facebook. That's bestevercommunity.com. We've got over a thousand active real estate investors asking questions, posting content, and responding to our Best Ever Community Questions of the Week, where we will take your answers and create blog posts. This week's question is... What year do you think the next downturn, recession, market correction will happen, and why? So I'm looking forward to reading your responses and your predictions on when the next correction, recession, whatever terminology you prefer to use, is going to happen. And we will take a little responses and create a blog post next week. My favorite so far has been, I can't remember who it was, but he said something like, I don't know. It's just speculation. No one knows. <laughs> yeah. It's all speculation. Yeah. And then someone said, amen. And I like that because who knows? <laughs> I mean, just more importantly, make sure that our investments, your investments are set up to handle a market correction. That's more important. Why try to time it? Yeah. 
it, it was fun it, to talk about, I guess, but why not just set it up? So you're going to mitigate risk as much as possible along the way. It was Julia. And she said, no one knows. And it's a futile exercise. There you go. <laughs> Julia. Uh, she's, I agree. I love Julia. She's the character. Yep. Yeah. Everyone knows every single year, every single month, probably every single day, there's someone writing an article saying the crash is coming tomorrow. It's going to be the biggest crash of all time. And people have been saying that ever since there was a market to crash. So yeah, she said, probably a futile exercise. Just make sure you're set up for success, no matter what the market is. It's good conversation. And perhaps that's why we posted it. But I agree with Julia. Who knows? But just set yourself up the right way so you mitigate risk. And we've talked about that. You just Google three immutable laws of real estate investing, Joe Fairless, and that's how you do it. Exactly. All right. And then lastly, everyone, guys and girls, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a review for the opportunity to be the review of the week. This week's review comes from Shea Carr with the title, I'm a fan. And their comment was informative, short, and to the point. This podcast is enjoyable and truthful. Thanks for sharing your tips with the world. Well, thank you, Shay. I appreciate you spending some time and investing that into writing the review. And thank you for listening. And I'm glad you're getting a lot of value from it. Please, everyone, leave a review. And that will help us get high-quality content and help you out ultimately. So thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. The Target Market Insights Podcast is just that a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com.